and then also like specifically for like autism, I would recommend that they get to know adults with autism, Hmm. that they will listen to the stories of autistics as they share their life experience from their lived experience. And I think that will provide a lot of framework around the idea about autism because sometimes the narrative is not as pleasant, but it's coming from those who are outside of the community. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to listen to those who are disabled, listen to their voices and value their feedback. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Ms. Tanya Nash. Tanya is a public health consultant in the metro Atlanta area, and she's got over 19 years of public health experience. But today, Tanya is here to talk about the Autism Faith Network. Her passion for faith-based health promotion led her to form this award-winning network, and she's here to share her experiences with being a special needs mom and sharing the tips that she has learned along the way. Grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Good morning, Tanya. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you so very much for coming. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? All right. So I am Tanya Nash. I am a public health consultant and founder of Spectrum Public Health Strategies. I'm also the founder and board president of the Autism Faith Network. My husband, Jamie, and I have two amazing sons, Daniel and Nicholas, both of which have autism. And my youngest son also has a rare form of epilepsy called Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. So I am happy to be here today to talk with you on this podcast. Thank you. Can you please share a little bit about your story, your background? So my husband uh, was active duty military. He recently, you know, retired a few years ago, but we were a military family and we moved around a lot. And so um, about maybe four years or so into our marriage, we had our oldest son and uh, things started off, you know, pretty well until he was about two years old. We recently had moved to Oklahoma City and we started to notice that he wasn't meeting his developmental milestones. And so from there, we started, you know, getting him in therapies and he was eventually diagnosed with autism. At this time, we were very active with going to church. You know, we were very active in participating in church services. And what we started to notice was that there were some difficulties with him attending. The sounds were very um, loud to him. He was very sensitive to certain sounds. He was having difficulty in children's church. And so as we would move from place to place, we would notice that churches, big or small, big city, small city, country, town, you know, it didn't matter that many churches were ill-equipped to serve families like mine. They just didn't know how. And so what ended up happening was we moved to Sumter, South Carolina, which is a very small military community in South Carolina. And there was a church there. My husband was deployed during all of this. My husband was on deployment rotations and my husband was deployed. And I was having a rough Sunday and they didn't have children's church that day. Uh, My son had a special worker that he really gravitated to and they didn't have the service that day because they were having a church play. And so I kind of had a meltdown right there. I was like, what do you mean? Because that meant I was going to have to take him into the sanctuary. And he was very afraid of the sanctuary because of all the lights and, you know, all the people and the sounds. And so this lady that I really didn't know well, I just knew she was the pastor's sister. She volunteered to 
you know, sit with him during the service so that I could go into church service and have a, a good service. And so I was so stressed out at the time. I was like, okay, here, here, here he is. <laughs> and so I came out out of the service and he was just as happy as he can be. And then about two weeks later, that same lady came and told me that she wanted to start a special needs ministry for my son nice. and others like him. And so from there, the ministry grew and there were other kids that joined. We had new members to come to the church because of the special needs ministry. And then at that time, I started to realize, oh, you know what? This is a wonderful thing. Why aren't more churches doing this? So I started a blog series and I wrote a blog series about it and what happened. And I was surprised about how many people responded to it and said, hey, this is me. I've had the same experience. And so I kept thinking to myself, why don't someone do something about it? (laughs) And then I realized that sometimes we are in certain situations because we are the ones that can do something about it. And so that's pretty much how the Autism Faith Network was was born. And basically what we do is we equip, recruit, and empower places of worship to serve those with disabilities and their families, specifically autism. Wow, that's an amazing story. I like how you said, well, I didn't quite know who she was. I knew she was the pastor's sister. But I was like, here, take him. <laughs> yes, I mean, it really was, I mean, it was such a stressful, stressful time because at that time my son was six. And then I also had, and I didn't mention this part, I had a newborn baby. So my husband was deployed. I had this newborn baby and we didn't have family there in South Carolina. So I just had a few friends here and there and I needed a break Mm -hmm. and, you know, newborn baby, not sleeping that great. And then, you know, the six-year-old with autism, I was just frazzled. (laughs) So church was a respite for me. It was a way for me to have a release and a way for me to, you know, be able to focus on something Mm -hmm. else other than the needs of my children. So when she offered, I was like, thank you, because I needed help. That's amazing. I love that story. And, and you know, she has really become almost like family to us now. We still keep in touch with her. She is very much beloved to us. That's fantastic. What was it like getting the diagnoses for your children? Was it straightforward? So for my oldest son, when he was diagnosed, my husband was deployed. So the process of all of the therapies and the the evaluations, I had to do a lot by myself. And so it was really isolating. And at that time, I didn't know a whole lot about autism. We're talking like it was 2008. 9, 2010, 11, you know. And so I really didn't know a whole lot. I had a a family member who had autism, but that family member didn't um, present the same way that my son was. And so I didn't think, you know, that he really had autism. So that process was very stressful. It was isolating. We were in a new place way away from family. I'm from North Carolina and we were in Oklahoma City, which is pretty far away. So it was a very isolating time. And my husband, you know, he was, when we finally got the diagnosis for my oldest son, he was on the phone from a remote location. Mm-hmm. So it, it was stressful for my second son. When he started showing signs, I said, okay, I already know what this is. <laughs> so it was a little bit easier because we kind of already knew. And then my husband was out of the military at that time. So mm-hmm. we were able to lean on each other and provide that support, help with the therapies and all of that kind of thing. Now, with the epilepsy diagnosis, that was more recent, and that was a harder diagnosis to deal with because that is uh, more of a a life-altering medical situation there. So that was harder. How would you describe your experience being a special needs mom? Well, being a special needs mom or the mom of disabled children is just like being a mom, but it has additional duties. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, making sure that my sons have the medications that they need, you know, making sure that they get the therapies they need, advocating for them. So there's a little bit extra, mm-hmm. but it's still a joy. Nice. Um, my boys are amazing. They are some of the best things that ever happened to me. And I'm so very thankful for the gift of motherhood and to have the privilege of being their mom. So yes, it comes with a few additional challenges. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it is still rewarding as any motherhood journey can be. Can you actually tell us a little bit about some of those challenges that you face, particularly if you experience any challenges in the health system and how you overcome? One challenge that we've experienced is accessibility. So like the availability of therapies, like speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. When we were in the military, we were moving around a lot. And a lot of times we were moving to places that didn't have an abundance of therapy centers. Or if they had them, there were waiting lists. And so one thing I have learned over the years is that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And so I would, you know, call almost weekly. Hey, you know, do you have a slot? Can you can you fit us in any kind of way? Is there any way we can get in earlier? You know, my son is doing this and we really need help. And so, you know, just advocating and staying present and persistent about advocating for the needs of my son. When my youngest son, you know, had his first few seizures, we were told, okay, you know, you should go to this particular location, this, this system to get care for him. And when I contacted them, they told me it would be three months before he could see a neurologist. And I was like, no way. He's just had two seizures. You think I'm waiting three months? (laughs) It's not happening. So I had to do some additional research. You know, I talked about those additional duties. Mm -hmm. I had to do some additional research to find a um, neurologist that did not have a waiting list. And, and when I found the one that he sees right now, they told me, hey, listen, we are swamped right now. And I told them, I said, hey, listen, my son just had two seizures. We've just come from the hospital and he's in online school. They told us he cannot do any more online school until he is seen. And at that time, you know, this was in the, the heat of COVID. Not that we're out of it now, yeah. but <laughs> this is when COVID was really out there and we didn't have vaccinations for children and all most of the schools were doing online only. Mm-hmm. And I was very concerned about his education and because I was so persistent, they slid me in. And so I just, you know, want to share that, you know, sometimes being very persistent, being kind, but persistent and sharing your story and the need can really go a long way. Love that. That is true. <laughs> Squeaky wheel mm-hmm. does get the oil. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, looking outside of traditional places to get help. Like there was a particular therapy that my oldest son needed and there was no, no therapist of that kind in our local area. This was when we were in South Carolina in this small town. And I heard about a private uh, therapist that provided those procedures that those therapies that he needed. And so I contacted that private therapist who was out on his own and he came in, his name was Mr. Rambo. (laughs) (laughs) And Mr. Rambo was amazing with my son. He learned so many different things under the care of him, but I never would have found him if I would have stuck to traditional resources. So sometimes you have to look outside of the box to find the best services for your child. What advice would you give to a newly diagnosed mom? Well, one thing I would say is don't look so far down the road. Just deal with the now and to be hopeful. You know, um, when my 
oldest son was first diagnosed with autism, he wasn't really talking at all. I mean, he didn't, he would just name things, especially color. So he'd be like red and car, you know, he would just name things. There was no conversation and he didn't call me mommy, you know, just naming things up until he was almost five years old. He was about five years old before he really started making sentences and, you know, communicating. So there was a long season of time where I was wondering, okay, because autism is a huge spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering, okay, so will he be like this forever? You know, will he eventually develop language skills? And around about five or six with the therapies and with Mr. Rambo and, you know, all of the other therapists that were working with him. And we did a lot of intense therapy, like three times a week. So while my friends were taking their kids to T-ball and uh, soccer and all that stuff, I was sitting in therapy with my son. And with all of these therapies, he eventually got better. He's 14 now and we have conversations. (laughs) So, you know, be hopeful things can get better. And and I really want people to emphasize that. And then also like specifically for like autism, I would recommend that they get to know adults with autism, Mm -hmm. that they will listen to the stories of autistics as they share their life experience from their lived experience. And I think that will provide a lot of framework around the idea about autism, because sometimes the narrative is not as pleasant but it's coming from those who are outside of the community. So I think it's very important to listen to those who are disabled, listen to their voices and value their feedback. Were you working outside the home as well when you were taking your son to all these therapies? Oh my goodness, Nikita. (laughs) So when my son was first born, I was working, yes. And then we moved to Oklahoma City. We moved from, we were living in Panama City, Florida, and we moved to Oklahoma City. And in the transition of that move, I was like, okay, so we just got here. My son's not talking. So let's get him into therapy. Once he starts um, doing well, then I'll get back in the workforce. And so I thought this was going to be like this little short temporary thing, you know, a couple months maybe. And then, you know, And then we started having to add more therapies and then we needed more therapy time. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, my career, what is going on here? And the sad thing too, and and this goes back to accessibility, is that many therapy places, they close at five, but people often don't get off work till five. So it really creates a lack of access. And so I kind of had to make a choice. Do I want to get this early intervention in for my son or do I want to pursue my career? And so I chose to get my son the services and the skills he needs. So there was a a good bit of time where I didn't work traditionally. So I started doing freelance writing. I did health coaching. You know, I got a few certifications in that time until I could get to a point where I could do more of a traditional type job, just so that I could fit it around the needs of my children. And so in 2020, I ended up starting uh, Spectrum Public Health Strategies, and it's a public health consultant business. And basically, I work at the schedule that fits for my family doing health communications work. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you pointed that out because it's so true. A lot of the services that we need end at five and it's like, who's going to (laughs) go? Yes, because like my boys, they don't get home till three o'clock. 
And where I currently live, there is a lack of access of providers. And so I live in the metro Atlanta area. And so a lot of the services are in the Atlanta area. Well, there's traffic issues, bad traffic issues. And so it could take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half to get to where you are. And that's right then if the bus is not from coming from school isn't late mm-hmm. <laughs> that's putting me getting there at 4 30 well they close at five mm-hmm. so there's you know there's not a lot of access for kids that go to school in addition to the fact that there's a lot of kids who need to come after school so they don't have enough slots so it, it can be challenging it really can to find services you need once your child gets into school now there are uh, therapy services that you can get while your child is in school, but that's only like once a week. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's in a group. So you, they don't necessarily get the individualized help that they need. And so that really is an issue, the accessibility. Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning or think would have been helpful on your journey? It's going to be all right. You know, I spent a lot of time at the beginning in fear and worry about you know, how things would turn out with my boys, how things, you know, especially with them being young Black men, and then, you know, worrying about who's going to take care of them, how much they would develop and be able to be on their own. And even more recently, you know, my um, youngest son, he, he had the epilepsy diagnosis in 2020. 2020 was just a bad year, <laughs> but 2020 he had the epilepsy diagnosis and he was having seizures very, very regularly. And it was the most stressful thing that I think I've ever had to deal with because, you know, trying to balance work. Cause I, I was working, I am working <laughs> during this epilepsy thing. And so trying to balance work and his healthcare needs and the medications and all of the appointments and the specialists. And now looking back, my youngest son is 90 days seizure free, no, 91 days seizure free. <laughs> and so, you know, realizing, you know, looking back, you know, it took over a year for us to be able to get a medication regimen that would stop the seizures mm-hmm. or give us some respite from constant seizures, but it's okay. And, uh, you know, I think just taking things one day at a time and being hopeful can go a long way. It, perspective is a big big part of this all. Are there any myths and misconceptions you'd like to dispel related to autism? So there's one, people with autism don't express emotion, that they aren't kind or caring, that they are very stuck into themselves. That's a myth. My oldest son is the most caring person I know. And he's big in discerning people and how they move in this world. He can Mm -hmm. tell if you're kind, if you're nice. Mm -hmm. He can tell if you're upset. He can tell if you're happy. You know, for example, when my youngest son had first got the diagnosis with epilepsy, he started having the seizures. I thought I was doing a good job of hiding my stress and my fear and my worry from him. And he would come up to me and and I would be thinking I'm normal. And he Mm -hmm. would come up to me and say, mommy, how do you feel? And I would look at him and he would be like, persistent, mommy, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. Now, this is the son that wasn't talking until he was six. Right. <laughs> and he would be like, mommy, how do you feel? And, you know, I try to be honest with him. So, like, you know, he said, mommy, you're worried. And right. so he, he, he could tell. And so, you know, that's a huge myth that, you know, persons with autism don't feel emotion. And then the other thing is that they aren't able to make decisions for themselves or that they need 
constant monitor. There are people with autism who live independent, success, successful lives. And I think that we have to kind of really be careful about accepting some of these stigmas that you know have come along with autism. Yes, there is a spectrum, but I think that we have to you know, be more accepting and, and be more inclusive of persons with autism as well into our local societies. Can you share an example of when advocating worked for you and your family? With my oldest son, he was in a particular school in our district where he wasn't getting the best education that he could receive. And so I ended up having to advocate for him to get into another school that had specialized program for persons with autism that were at the same range of the spectrum as him. And once he got into that program, he really thrived and he really started to do well. And so that was one thing. Also, I advocate for disability ministries, for churches to participate in actively serving those with autism and their families. One thing that I have seen is that a lot of families like mine feel isolated. And our faith-based communities could be very supportive in providing that support for families like mine, that encouragement, that companionship, that assistance. But I found that a lot of faith-based communities are not even, that's not even on their radar. Like they haven't (laughs) even thought about this community of people that they could really be so valuable to. So, you know, advocating for those things. And then also med for my youngest son's medications. Oh my goodness. Dealing with insurance companies, you know, not allowing them to just say, oh, we're not doing this. Okay, well, I'm going to appeal. So being (laughs) willing to go the extra mile to make sure that, you know, my boys get everything that they need. You know, advocacy is very important when you have children with disabilities. I know you said earlier the squeaky wheel gets the grease and now you're talking about advocacy. Do you ever feel concerned or, you know, like, what would you say to somebody who says, but I don't want to be a bother. I know there's other people in line too, or like <laughs> something like that. Yes, there are other people in line. Yes, it can feel like you're being annoyed. But if you don't advocate for your children, who will? That's it. You know, you have to get your children the services that they need, you know, within your, now I'm not saying, you know, paying bribes or anything like that, (laughs) but, you know, you really have to be persistent and show that this is important. This matters that my child really needs. It's the same thing with the school system. You know, children with autism have um, something called IEPs, individualized education programs, where basically the school is supposed to follow that. And it tells the school how, your child should be educated, what resources they need to be successful. You have to advocate for that. And if you don't, they're not going to automatically provide that. These early years are so very important for them to be able to get this foundation. And if they lose out on that, then it's really difficult to make that time up. So you have to be persistent. You have to not be willing to take no for an answer when the development of your child is in the balance. That's it. You mentioned too, a lot of churches are ill-equipped for something like this. How does someone, or I guess an entity, join the autism faith-based network? Is it a toolkit? If you want that at your church, how do you get it? 
So every year in April for Autism Awareness Month, we have something called the Accessible Faith Initiative. And basically what that is, is we provide resources for places of worship to integrate or to include um, those with disabilities in their families. And so we give them a toolkit. We do webinars. We have a private Facebook group where we do different teachings about autism, how to teach them in children's church, how to uh, include them in different activities. And so it's every year in April. We have information available on our website at autismfaithnetwork.com where people can request information. This year, we are going to be launching a, a new resource hub. And we have two webinars that we will be hosting. One of them will be on how to start a disability ministry so that if um, a person with disability comes to your church or your place of worship, what do you do? And so one webinar will be on that. And then the other one will be focused on caregivers. And so it'll be a conversation with two caregivers. And we will talk about basically how to deal with this life as a caregiver when you're taking care of a family member with a disability. So we have a whole bunch of resources. And then also um, we have two other initiatives where we provide gift cards for those with autism during the holiday season, you know, for Thanksgiving meal. And then we also have an initiative that we do in December of every year where we purchase sensory tools and toys for those with autism. So we we do a lot. We're a small nonprofit, very small, but we are very passionate about this cause. And so we're very excited about the Accessible Faith Initiative in April. So how do you take care of yourself, Tanya? No, it's different now. You don't have the newborn. <laughs> no, no, I don't have new. I have big kids now. Um, my oldest is 14 and my youngest is nine. But one thing that I do for self-care, we have respite care. So we now have a respite care provider that comes in um, two uh, Sundays a month for several hours and watches my youngest son so that my husband and I can go out on a date or, you know, do different things that we need to do. And so that's very, very, very important, that time to get away and knowing that my son is in the hands of a capable professional who could take care of him should he have a seizure or he needs help. And then also, I love to read. So I, I'm part of a book club and, you know, I read and I get away in other people's worlds, you know, so I read, listen to audio books. So those are just a few of the things that I do for self-care. And then, you know, I binge watch TV. I have my TV shows that I like to watch too. So, you know, just finding things that you like and being intentional about making time for those things are important. I know it's it can be very hard when you have, you know, career and you have children, and especially when you have children that require your assistance, you know, a lot of the time. But if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of, of your family. And so you have to learn how to put yourself first, not in a selfish way, but putting yourself first in the acknowledgement that if I'm not okay, then nobody else is going to be okay. That's true. I imagine that there are probably people who want to assist families in their sphere of influence, but are often intimidated or don't know how. What tips would you give them? So I can't speak for every family, but I can give some kind of just baseline practical things. So if you see a, a family, you know, they have a disabled family member, ask them, how can you help? And sometimes they'll tell you, you know, hey, I really need help with this. I really need help with that. 
But then sometimes you'll also find that they are so task saturated that they really don't have time to sit down and think about what to tell you because <laughs> that requires time. That requires, okay, let me sit down and think about this. Let me sit down and think about that. And so one thing I could think about is, okay, if you see a family that's transporting their child to therapies all the time, a gas card could help, you know, mm-hmm. or a family that's on the go all the time because they're on therapies. Meal trains, providing meal. If you have an organization or like you're a Girl Scout leader or you are over a sports league or ballet or dance or whatever, make sure that you create an atmosphere in your group where you allow those with disabilities to participate and that you make sure that you set the atmosphere within the people that participate that this person is 100% welcome and included and we're going to be nice and we're going to be kind and that we are going to include them. So, you know, creating opportunities for inclusion. If you have a friend, you know, who has a child with disabilities, contact them regularly. You know, even if they may not respond back, reach out, you know, quick text message. Hey, I was thinking about you. Quick card, you know, in the mail, you know, do something nice for them, you know, Amazon gift card or something, you know, but just reaching out, just letting people know, hey, I'm here. I care. I'm a safe place. If you need to vent, if you want to talk, if you want to cry, I'm right here. I'm listening. Don't give advice unsolicited, (laughs) you know, just listen. And I think that will go a long way. Sometimes people think that they have to do something big and ornate. And sometimes it's just the little things. I know one time I was having a really difficult day and my friend told our little group of friends we have from a group of military wives that we were really close together. And I had contacted her and told her about how rough my day was. She lives an hour away. She dropped everything and drove down Mm -hmm. and came and spent time with me. And she told the other friends. And I started getting stuff on my porch from DoorDash and (laughs) from Instacart where they were just sending, you know, like, little cake, little sweet treats, little chocolates and stuff like that just to try and brighten my day. So it really doesn't take a whole lot, but just showing that you're, you care and that you're there can go a very long way. I love those examples. And even what that first woman did at the church in South Carolina, that was a little gesture that meant the world. Honestly, that really changed our lives Mm -hmm. because prior to that, we had never received that level of kindness. When we have visited, church, we have had people in children's church. I remember one time I went and visited a church and they told me, because I always would tell them when I would bring my son back for children's church, I would say, okay, my son has autism. So, and, but I would tell them he has autism, but this is how you help him. And this is the things that you would need for, in order for him to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, my son has autism. And before I could go through, okay, these are the things that you need to do. That person looked at me and said, we don't do that here. And I was like, what do you mean? Like literally in a place of worship, I was told that my son didn't belong. And so just reaching out and showing that you care, you know, affirming the value of my family can go a long way. You know, a lot of times people see those with disabilities and they kind of just brush them off, you know, and, and, you know, don't value their lives, but their lives matter just as much as ours or anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just important to show that you care, show that you're there and to think about how you would want to be treated if you were in that same situation. Yes, indeed. You, you mentioned too, if you have a group, make sure that this group is inclusive. Tell the members that this person is welcome here. 
Mm-hmm. Is that a conversation you think that should be had in the presence of the person or separate from them? In the presence of the person with the disability? Yeah. Oh, let's just say you have a, a Girl Scout troop. And I don't think it should be held in the presence of the person. Really, honestly, I don't think this is a conversation that should have to be said. But yeah, that's does, it. you know, I think the person um, who's over it should just, you know, okay, the parent can have a conversation with the person and say, hey, you know, my child has these disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would appreciate, you know, if you would make sure that things go smoothly with them in there. But I think sometimes, you know, when you have children, children are inquisitive. They have questions. And so sometimes it's okay to talk about things. Like I have young nieces and they're just the sweetest. They are like six. And we have went to visit family for Thanksgiving and they asked the question, hi, you know, why doesn't he talk? You know, referring to my youngest son, Mm -hmm. why won't he talk and play with us? And so then we had to explain, okay, hey, you know, he has something called autism. and so. His brain works a little bit different. And so he may respond to things different. He may not play with you, but he still likes to be around you, mm-hmm. you know, or he may not talk as much, but he still likes to have fun. And this is how he likes to have fun. So being able to explain to mm-hmm. people on their level, you know, age appropriate can go a long way. So I didn't know if perhaps it would um, hurt the feelings if it's like, I don't know, pardon everybody, this is Johnny and you need to be nice to Johnny because... Oh. No, you know, not, no, no, not a formal like, yeah. you know, calling Johnny out to the carpet, but just making sure yeah. that if there is an issue that, uh, you know, there could be an overall statement, you know, at the beginning of the, uh, you know, once everybody gets on the team. OK, hey, you know, on our these are the core values of our team. This mm-hmm. is how we react. You know, yes. this is how we show teamwork. This is how we respond to one another in general, because, you know, there is other people, you know. That may be in the group that have something different about them, too, where they may need acceptance and love. So I think it can work for anybody and not just for those with disabilities. I love that. How can people connect with you, Tanya? All right. So I love Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter almost every day tweeting about something. But you can find me on Twitter at I am Tanya Nash, T-O-N-Y-A-N-A-S-H. You can also find me on Instagram. I am Tanya Nash. If you would like to find out more about the Autism Faith Network, you can visit autismfaithnetwork.com as well as Facebook, Autism Faith Network, and on Instagram, Autism Faith Network. We're on Twitter too, but not as much at Autism Faith Net. So mm-hmm. that's where you can find me on social media networks. Thank you. Do you have any closing thoughts as we wrap up? Well, I just want to thank you for having me on today. April is Autism Awareness Month. And so, you know, I would like to challenge all of your listeners to find a way to make a difference for those in the disability and autism community during April for Autism Awareness Month. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tanya, for coming to the Good Health Cafe and sharing your experiences with us. Thank you. I've had a great time. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I think Tanya really provided us with some amazing lessons and ideas. Some key takeaways included thinking about out-of-the-box solutions to get the services that you need, seeking the help of a respite care provider, 
And when you think about how you can help families, there's tons you can do. Meal trains, gas cards, etc. But most importantly, make sure that you create an atmosphere in your group that is inclusive, that will allow all children with disabilities to participate. Remember, show that you're here and that you're here, but don't give any unsolicited advice. As a reminder, don't forget that I've created a downloadable medication list for you. So to get it, please go to the link in the show notes and click download your free medication list. Also, please feel free to join our mailing list so that you can get updates from time to time. And remember too that the Good Health Cafe Lounge is launching soon. And for more information, that too is in the show notes. See you in the cafe later. Bye.